you all for coming. If Maggie were here, she'd just tell you all to make yourselves at home. The greatest thing about Maggie was this deep love that she had for Jenny. If I'm honest, I could have been a better father. Now I've, I've got to do that. I've got, I got to be great for Jenny. How are you holding up, brother? I can't believe she's gone. Things at home have been strange. What are you doing? Baby is painting. Daddy, where do you think mommy is now? How's she holding up? Jenny said she saw something in her room. Where'd you see this? I'm not supposed to tell. This is an angry soul who's trapped in this world. I felt something up there. It's bad. Jenny? Just come up, Samantha. This is darkness. What does it want? To inflict pain. She's trying to give us a message. Welcome, everybody, to Dead Talk Live. I'm your host, Viz, and it is my honor tonight to welcome writer, producer, director, William Brent Bell with us, whose movie, Separation, whose trailer you just saw is coming out very soon. William, thank you so much for joining us. How are you doing? I'm doing great. How are you doing? I'm doing great. Oh, thank you for being here. It is our honor. I saw Separation last night, and I got to ask this question right away, Okay. And then we're going to get to the other good stuff as well. Uh, I got the impression after watching the movie that, yeah, the majority of the movie, we are dealing with that woman, that entity who they presumed was the mom. I'm not completely sold on that, but they presumed it's the mom. Uh, then we have that contortionist uh, entity. Mm-hmm. I think that is a completely separate entity. Uh that they just think it's uh, a figment of their imagination. We only saw it twice. What can you tell us about the contortionist? Well, I found fascinating. Sure. Yeah. The, well, the contortionist, uh, that character name is Nereza, you know, who's part of the grizzly kin yeah. uh, macabre group of, you know, puppets and characters, comic characters. And uh, the character was played by Troy James, who's just an uh, incredible contortionist. Um and yeah, you're kind of right. Like as far as uh, that character kind of, uh, as far as the reality of the film goes, lives in a bit of a world of his own. Um, and in the comic, he's he's kind of a guide into this world of macabre puppets. He's a marionette puppet, so he has no joints. So if you were to hold him up and let him go, you know, he would just collapse into like a pile of wood. Um, which was why, you know, Troy bringing him to life as a contortionist was so amazing. The uh, and so he's, it's a character that, you know, would live on past this story, for instance. You know, if 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 we wanted. Exactly, and uh, that would be perfect uh, if the franchise does continue. I personally think, and it could be anything. Uh, it could be a demon, uh, for all we know. That yeah. there was so much negativity in that house. Uh, before exactly. the mom passed away, after the mom passed away, the feud between uh, Rivers and Jeff uh, for custody of Jenny. There was just so much negativity. It very well could spawn up a demonic entity. So the door yeah. is completely wide open to that. So let's get started. Let's go back to how did this project come your way to not only direct it, but to also be a producer as well? Yeah, this is the first movie my production company produced or co-produced the machine room so that was really cool very important um i was having a meeting with uh, a television executive named gloria fan and she works for fox and disney 
And she had been developing several movies, but she couldn't touch the movies anymore. And this was a movie she had been developing. She's like, you might like this. Do you like uh, the movie Kramer vs. Kramer? Yeah. And I was like, ah, for me, it's like, it's like my childhood, that movie. It was in Dustin, Dustin Hoffman. Yeah. Dustin Hoffman, Meryl Streep and, and their eight year old son who, um, was nominated for an Academy Award mm -hmm. at eight. And I don't think he won, no. but pretty amazing. And uh, I was like, oh, I love that movie. She was, well, there's a script where, you know, the the mother dies and and uh, and then, you know, seems to come back. And and I was like, ah, oh, I love that. I was like, even if the script was awful, I would work on the script enough to, because I feel like I know that movie already. And uh, so I tracked the script down because uh, she couldn't work on it because mm -hmm. she's in television now. And, uh, and when I read it, I was expecting the worst, and I loved it. And and the biggest thing they brought to the table, other than that idea, was uh, the world of, you know, the fact that he worked in the world of comics in Brooklyn. So that was really cool. And I was like, oh, this is very fresh. But um, that's how it came to me. And then I brought the script to uh, the financiers, Yale Productions, through a friend of mine named Jesse Corman initially, and they really wanted to work with me and uh, Rainmaker Films, and. Uh, and they were small. They had done some really a lot of small movies, small, you know. And and I was like, this is one that's really special to me. They're a New York-based company, and I was like, you know, let's put this movie together and go make it and and do something really creative and personal. And they were super supportive. And and then you know, six months later, we were in Brooklyn, uh, prepping and shooting the film. I love the fact that you guys. I'm from New York, and I love the fact that you guys shot on location in New York City. This movie had a great cast: Rupert Friend, Brian yeah. Cox, uh, that girl Jenny uh, Violet McGraw. She's so talented. Yeah. She's such a I talented uh, young girl, young woman. How uh, did you have any kind of say on the casting? Uh, how did that work out? I mean, what was your role sure. when it came to the casting of this movie? I mean, my role, um, kind of as, as a director, usually certainly, uh, being a producer of the movie, it's, I, you know, I kind of have the main say in that. And, um, and with, within reason, you know, a lot of times we're looking for certain actors to kind of help click into place the financing model of a movie. Right. But, um, this one, it didn't require that much of that, uh, with Violet, it was about searching, you know, and, and looking at every girl between the ages of six and 12, like that have been in and out of the doors in Hollywood. Um, and then finally finding her, which was, you know, for me, I was almost going to have to rewrite the part because I thought this is going to be impossible to find a girl who can do everything she has to do. And we only have her for four hours a day. And, and I was like, this is going to not work out. But then when I saw her audition, it was like, ah, this is incredible. She's uh, she can do everything. Mm -hmm. And uh, I got to watch a movie with her last night. And, um, and you know, someone like Brian Cox was, uh, the writers actually wrote that part with him in mind um, several years earlier. And that was my first choice. I didn't even know that about the writers. And, uh, and, and we were like, what about Brian Cox? And I said, that would be number one. And they're like, well, let's do it. Let's, let's get him. And the producers to their credit, just, you know, they just were bold about it and they kind of put their money where their mouth is and, and, and made a, a, like a good offer. And, and he agreed to do it. He lives, you know, in Brooklyn. Oh. Uh, and so at one point we shot like right around the corner from his apartment. I'm a big um, fan of Brian Cox. I mean, for a long time now. Yeah. I mean, I don't know anyone who isn't, and it was really, um, a dream come true, you know, like realizing like, uh, we were going to be, making the movie with him. And like I said, you know, the, the writers were just like, are you kidding me? Like, that's just, you know, like, okay, who would be this guy? God, Brian Cox is the model for this character. And then he's doing the movie. Same thing with, with Mamie Gummer. Her mother was very much the model for that character from Kramer vs. Kramer. Yeah. And Meryl Streep. And they even I, looked similar. I, yeah. And I, uh, and I was like, ah, oh, she'd be great in this part, but she probably never wanted to do it because it's kind of, you know the horror version in a way of that movie and and about a, about six months into casting um her people called us and said hey we think this would be great for her she loves it would you be interested in meeting with her and uh i was like this is perfect and then of course first time i talked to her she's like talking about her mother's performance in kramer vs kramer and how she wanted to do some things differently and it just was for me 
kind of mind blowing, you know, because I was like, this is really working out, you know, amazingly well. Rupert was incredible. He was perfect for the part. He's such a lovable, likable guy. He's also a really great artist. I didn't know that. Um, So sketching and stuff he was able to do himself. And, um, and then Matt, uh, well, a couple of people, you know, Madeline Brewer was amazing. I loved her from Handmaid's Tale Mm -hmm. and um, Simon Quarterman, who I've done two other movies with and he's one of my dear friends uh, was perfect, you know, coming in playing Alan. So it was just an incredible cast, especially for such a little independent film. It was great seeing Rupert back on the screen. I became acquainted with Rupert when he was on Homeland, when he was introduced to us years ago on Homeland. And I loved him as the character of Peter on Homeland. Now as a director, When you have such a talented cast, how easier does that make your job? Well, you know, I've always heard uh, directing is eighty percent casting, or casting is eighty percent direct of directing, and I really believe that. Um, and so, for me, it's like finding the right cast is everything because at that point, I can let them run with the character. And so, if there's a sticking point in the script or a, a logic issue with the character you know, I put it to them and I'm like, okay, you're the character, you know, like, what would you do or what would you say? And, uh, and then they run with it, you know, because it, I'm thinking of a hundred things and they're thinking of that one character and making sure that they do everything right, that they think that character would do that's motivated. Um, and it sounds like their voice. And so it's everything, you know, it's, it's so important. I can totally understand that. Now you said earlier that, uh, if you before you read the script, if there were parts you didn't like, you would work with it. Did you actually have to do that? Uh, had to change some parts of the script to, I don't know, better. You're very, you're an experienced director. You've been doing this for many, many years. Uh, did you have to change certain aspects to make sure it plays well with the audience? Absolutely, we worked really hard on the script um, for months and months, um, probably six months, like solid. And, um, and then even in prep, um, you know, the locations change things and, and, and then just really thinking of, of trying to make it tell the best story that balanced, you know, drama and horror in the right way. And that brings to life, uh, New York in the right way. And, uh, and then as the actors came on board, especially Rupert, mm-hmm. like we would just go and have sessions and, and kind of rewrite, rework scenes a little bit, um, to fit, you know, the specificity of, the location and exactly what he wants to bring to the part. So it's, you know, it was, there, there's writing changes every day all the way in through shooting, you know. For you, and, uh, for you how important were the, uh, uh, sorry, uh, Jeff's friend who works at the comic agency and his associate, I, how critical do you think, in your opinion, were they important to the storyline? Super important. Um, you know, one, it, it kind of showed you a different side of Jeff. It showed you, uh, you know, what he had to deal with, where, uh, whereas he wasn't a very responsible parent and he wasn't interested in kind of taking a backseat to his dreams. But he did that. You know, he did that for his daughter. Um, and, and what I love about that is I find that when people do that and they, they give themselves to something bigger, you know, everything works out. And so for him, that's kind of the journey for him is like, he finally gave up on kind of his unrealistic dreams, focusing on the bigger picture, which is his daughter and protecting her. And that led to his dreams coming true sort of. Um, And those guys, you know, and they also provided a lot of comic relief in the movie. Um, And they provided the source for a lot of the support for the mythology of the film. You know, yeah, by they telling did. Story. Yeah. yeah. So, so they were super important, especially the associate, and because he was, uh, you know, Peter's reference into the supernatural. This guy was a yep. very spiritual person, and it was yep. someone that Jeff could turn to for information. Now, uh, when you were uh, assembling this, and you decided to go the route with the lady where, like I said in the beginning of this broadcast, we're kind of really, even at the end, questioning, is that really the mom? Uh, is that what you wanted the audience to walk away questioning? Is that really the mom? Because there are certain scenes that a mom, when they're on the ledge, you know, we're on yep. the ledge, and, uh, and you know, Violet 
goes forward. What is she trying yep. to do there? Well, you know, I uh, for one thing, I'm glad you, you picked up on that stuff. The uh, I, on one hand, really love the idea that stories, like for me to tell you somewhat like what the intention was, is kind of defeats the purpose of you saw the movie. So it's like you can walk away as long as it's not a frustrating answer. The debate is great, mm -hmm. you know. But um, as far as the character goes, if it was her mother or if it wasn't, you know, the, the kind of mythology there was if it's mom, it's not mom exactly. It's 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 a perverted version of her. It's a disturbed version of her. So I kind of equated it to if it's her, she's not quite safe because it's like she's off her meds, you know? And so she can't quite control her anger or or her thought process. So like in that scene, um, where she loves her daughter very much from what it appears in that scene, you know, she's questioning, is my daughter safe with my ex-husband and is she safer with me? And so for a moment there, she almost pulls her over to the other side and, uh, and then, and then kind of, uh, thinks twice of it. Yeah. And, and, and that's kind of, uh, where the story leads later as well is like, uh, this crimson void, which is her world, you know, in between worlds, um, you know, is, 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 I think a good ghost stories a lot of times are about entities or, or souls that, that have trouble moving on, you know? And, uh, and so very much we were playing on that kind of mythology for this movie. Now, have, but I do like that people don't quite know, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Like you said, it, it starts a great debate and it can really go either way. There's an argument for, and there's an argument against, uh, was it right there in the beginning of the script, a whole plot twist involving the character of Samantha? The, um, sort of, um, it was there initially, um, it was different. And, um, and then, so we shifted kind of the, the role of it. It didn't really have anything to do with the mother, um, Anyway, it was different. I'd have to think about, like, uh, I feel like, yeah, it, it was similar but different. And then we developed it more and more uh, to make it um, to make it feel a little more organic to the story and satisfying, hopefully, for the audience. For me as, as the viewer, uh, you know, I thought it was just, you know, Rivers, Brian Cox's character, just, uh, you know, he hated uh, Jeff so much. And of course, yeah. you know, the hit, I just thought it was literally a hit and run. I really didn't think twice about it. Uh, we know Jeff is not the kind of character that would do that. Okay. That is very apparent in the opening minutes of the movie. He's not the kind of person who's going to take out his wife. Uh, so for me, it was just a, just an accident. Well, you know, a person yeah. got hit on the road, drove away. And that plot twist really threw me for, I did not see that coming um in a good way or a bad way good way i love plot twists yeah i love plot i mean twists. that's the fun of of creating a plot twist like that is making it track you know so that so that there's no cheat involved from a storytelling perspective but also making sure that that it's not something i mean the way i like it is it's not something uh, the audience is hopefully even considering you know because there's other things kind of uh garnering their attention so when that comes and and i like i said i watched the movie last night um at a theater with violet and a big audience and um when that happened like the sound in the in, in the theater was it was great and i wanted to stop and go what does this sound mean like everybody like oh and like you know just sometimes reacting like if you hear laughing or if you hear silence or a gasp it's always great because i just want people to be reacting and enjoying themselves and uh and so yeah it's, it was fascinating because i was kind of like what did you guys think of that but of course we're watching the movie i didn't interrupt it but it seemed like getting that kind of reaction it sounds like you had a good reaction to it oh yeah um means you know we we we're doing our job um in a film and i i definitely leading up to the moment when that started to materialize in the story. I was looking around the theater going, I don't feel like people are even thinking this is where this movie was headed. Mm -hmm. um, so, 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 so it's nice. I hope it, I hope it resonates in a good way. It does. You know? It did for it did with me. Now I got to, before we continue, I see you have the puppets in the background. Are those the actual ones yeah. used in the movie? Yep. 
They are. That, Those are the, uh, these are the these are the puppets. Yeah. So so they let you keep them and they're yours. Yeah, you know, um, we had them in storage for quite a while, just for safety. And um, and I was traveling some too. And um, yeah, these I mean these are one of a kind, hand carved puppets by um, a guy named uh, Craig Marin um, in in New York. And you know they're based on on the characters in the comic, which are uh, it's a whole world sort of. And you know th- we were having the hardest time figuring out like who was going to create these, and until the last minute. And then um, our production designer Ola Maslik, um, who I hired because she had great experience, but she came from a puppeteering background. That's what she graduated college doing, and so she had a real passion for puppets, and like I do, and. Uh, and then at the last minute, she's like, I found our guy. And when he created the first puppet and they sent it to set, they're like, okay, the first puppet, you can see it. Um, I expected a represent, you know, like an interpretation of the drawings. Yeah. Um, not, but I mean, what he did was like, wow, this looks so much like the drawings brought to life. It was so cool. cool. And I even, yeah, I, 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 I filmed, um, you know, um, Violet knew about them, you know, Jenny in the story. She, but, but Scarlet, which was her main puppet, had not been completed yet. And we started filming and she kept asking me about Scarlet. And so when he, she arrived on set, Scarlet, um, the one with the mask, um, we were filming the scene with her and her dad and they're playing around with the puppets and they're drawing. And we brought it over and filmed the scene. And I had Rupert introduce the puppet into the scene and she had, she'd never seen it. And so her reaction was completely, you know, authentic of like, oh, my gosh. And she, it was so great to see the excitement. And we have it on film forever. It's very cool. That is a very cool story. Now, sticking with the theme of dolls, do you have uh, the doll from the boy as well? I have parts of the doll from the boy. Um, and there's a couple back here. Uh-huh. Um, and... I, it, it's a whole thing, you know, it was a whole political thing. When we shot the first film, they're like, we can't give you a doll now because, because, you know, we might do a sequel and we just have to protect that. The head of the studio though, in his office, he still does. He had the doll sitting there. And then when we did the, uh, he had Hen- uh, Brian Henson from uh, Jim Henson's company come in and animate and, and um, build ro- uh, robotics into the doll. So the doll is animatronic. So in his office, he has buttons under his desk. So if you're having a meeting with him and it's very subtle, like Brahms's eyes will just shift or his head will turn the slightest bit and freaks people out. And so they promised me the doll um, when we wrapped the last one, but Lakeshore, the company, one of the companies behind the film went bankrupt after all these years, they just finally checked out. And then the politics of, Hey, where's the doll? Like, when do I get the doll? And it's like, well, we don't know. So I'll get, I'll get, I'll get a real Brahms. But right now I have one of his heads and then his, one of his like cracked heads. You could be like Dr. Frankenstein and assemble him all together at the end. Yeah. I'll make my own Brahms. And that is, I don't know. You probably never saw it, but originally the, the um, button to uh, the last film was a doll maker who's, making the doll and we realized there were two all along uh it was a cool little scene so so there were four of them yeah so several of your movies include dolls including separation which are puppets i know there's a little distinction but as a filmmaker or even personal do you have a fascination with the possibility of dolls did they like for some people uh dolls might have freaked you out as a kid and this is your therapy to try to get over that fear. Is there some kind of yep. association that you have with dolls and uh, bringing them to life, especially in horror movies? There definitely is. And I, I think it took a while for me to um, realize that. Uh, I mean, I, I so so you, you probably know Trilogy of Terror. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a, you know, ABC it was probably the first scary thing I, my sister showed me and it was an abc tv movie that had three chapters each starred karen black in different stories yeah. and one of the stories is about a zulu doll that she brings back from a trip and it said you know if, if the doll's chain is removed that the doll could come to life with the soul of this warrior or something like that and um and i remember as a kid she comes back into the living room and the doll's 
not on the table. And then she looks around and she pulls up the chain from under the couch. And I remember just as a kid going, oh, like that means where's the doll? And then sure enough, that doll chases her around the whole movie with this big butcher knife for part of it. And so my whole life, I grew up thinking um, until I was about 10, that if I put my legs down on a couch and let them dangle, that a witch was under the couch and that doll was with her and that she would grab my ankles and he would cut my feet off. Oh, and I believed that for like five years. And um, but I didn't really think I'd had a, I had some crazy passion or connection to dolls and still until I started working with them and going, oh, wow, that is one of the main memories of film in general, storytelling that is just remain imprinted in my mind. So I have a real passion for it, but it took a while for me to realize how much it was like scarred into my brain. For me, it really is. For me, it's the poltergeist uh, clown. Oh, uh, yeah, terrifying. that too. Terrifying. Yeah. I, I mean, everything about it, you know. Now, was it exactly? Two, that was another one. Well, in 2006, you directed uh, Stay Alive. Was that your directorial debut? I did a tiny independent film, which was kind of like the equivalent of my student film that me and um, some friends of mine made for like, you know, $25,000, $30,000. And we never really finished it. But but Stay Alive, uh, and then I started writing, and I was kind of the the writing partner, Matt Peterman, a filmmaking partner, who we ended up making a few movies together. We were writing kind of big studio movies, and I wanted to make movies. And then Stay Alive was the one we were kind of waiting for the right time to make. And um, and then we, we turned that into the movie that you saw. So that was the first real movie I did, the first studio movie, gotcha. first horror film. Gotcha. Uh, let's talk a little bit about The Devil Inside. I really enjoyed it. I want to ask you about that disclaimer that's in the start of yeah. the movie about the Vatican. Uh, was that, I mean, was that there just to you know perk up viewer interest what was that about and you mean like something like the what was it the vatican well there were two disclaimers there was a disclaimer about um the amount of exorcisms that had swelled up around mm-hmm. the world and um that's the whole that was where the whole concept came from i i read uh, matt and i read an article about the fact that after 20 30 years the vatican had started a school for exorcism yeah. and that's all true mm-hmm. and up until that point, they had pretty much disassociated themselves with exorcists. So, and still probably now, exorcists could not get um, any kind of time with the Pope. They were not considered real to them. And then, truly, they said that like all this, there was all this possession and, and demonic possession happening. So they leaned back into um, exorcism and brought that school. So that's what started the whole idea. Was like, let's do a story about this school. And uh, so, yeah, it was it was totally based in real data, you know, Um, and also we tried to interview priests. We interviewed so many people, but we could not get true real priests to really state their case on it. Um, Because those are real interviews in the movie. and There were way more than you ever saw in the film. And it was it was interesting. It was like, hey, you have your chance to kind of state your case on like is possession real is exorcism real. And they're like, the church won't let us do it. You know, so we never interview a real one that was actually going to be my next question how much research did you do into you know not only catholicism but the whole practice of uh exorcisms uh it's very well known now that there is a school that you know the catholic church does give in rome uh for exorcists Uh, so they do take it seriously but they don't like publicly acknowledging it you know it's like they want to keep uh, keep it at an arm's length but they've also come to realize that it's something that is needed uh yeah so how much access were you given to i know you weren't allowed to talk to any priest what other research did you do for the devil inside you know we were we talked to priests they could just never go on, on camera on record we talked to um you know everything from from uh experts in um, neurology and violence and people due to complex partial seizures and, and brain damage um, to uh, spiritualists and like every aspect of it. We, and, and they're in the movie and, and there's a way longer version of the movie that's like just a documentary about mm-hmm. all these people. And um, Elaine Warren, we interviewed Elaine Warren. Uh, we, uh, so, so the research was intense. Um, 
and very and as far as the access to actually the Vatican, we went to Rome because we shot the movie like in 14 days, you know, um, and went to Rome and everything in Rome was stolen. And so I think I spent about two and a half hours in the Vatican filming without their permission. And I don't know how like Paramount was able to buy the movie and then release the film. And the camera work is, is Vatican City. It's real people. I had, you know, Isabel the, uh, or um, uh, Fernanda is the name of the character. Fernando Andrade, like it would be like, hey, walk up to that police officer, you know, in the middle of Vatican City and ask him directions. And we filmed it all. And, uh, and and there was so much in the movie of her just like wandering around the Vatican. And then we'd see something interesting and it would be like, go in there and and, and interact with these people. And then they didn't know we were filming. It took and so about two and a half hours inside there. But none, none of it was was uh, sanctioned. Okay, okay. <laughs> but I get but some somehow Paramount was able to skirt the legality of all that, you know? And the Vatican obviously didn't raise a stink about it, so you everything is good. What was your intent yeah. in that film ending abruptly the way that it did? Um, a couple of things. It was like, originally the, the movie was, it was financed as like a big studio kind of flatliners in the world of this exorcism school. And, um, and the, the financing kept kind of falling apart just because of, the way things had to go. And um, one friend of ours who, who is a really successful businessman, he kept saying, if you get sick of this Hollywood bullshit, you know, come and call me and let's talk about making the movie for like nothing. And I, I remember going, gosh, like what we're talking about the movie for like half a million dollars is how are we going to live if we do the movie that small? And, um, and so when we, so we started talking about it and, um, and agreed to do it, you know, and cause I, so I, at that point, the only thing that was really like it was Blair Witch mm-hmm. and maybe Cloverfield. There was no paranormal activity at the time. Mm-hmm. And uh, but when we when we got to the point of um, getting close to making the movie, it had a whole big third act. And he, I remember, you know, he was like, "What if, what if we just stopped the movie like at the car crash?" And uh, and it's like we're doing it in a tiny independent movie. Why not? Like we can. Like why does it have to follow a perfect three act structure? Um, let's shock people with like yeah like sometimes the devil wins the movie's over mm-hmm. and uh but we always thought once the movie was bought by paramount and we did debate it and we created um things that we almost shot like we talked about going and shooting a different ending um and then the card that came up at the end of the movie had nothing to do with us that was a whole um thing that was kind of dictated by the president of the studio and he apologized to me for it years later because he never watched the final version of the movie. He never tested the final version of the movie. And he meant, and we originally thought that those, that that card that said for more information, which is very true to a documentary, um, would happen after the credits, not right after the, the movie ended abruptly. Yeah. So ending abruptly, I thought was, was, was cool. Um, and it would be shocking to some people, mm-hmm. but then to throw that up, people took, uh, people thought that meant we were trying to, get more money from them to go and like go to a website to see more movie when that wasn't the case no. at all. It, 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 but it was interesting. It was really interesting experience going through that with, with the world sort of. Now the majority of the movies that you have directed deal with the uh, paranormal slash supernatural subgenre. Uh, that's my yeah. favorite subgenre in horror for you. What is the appeal of the paranormal and supernatural? For me, I can for tell me, you it scares me yeah. for real. I see it as something that it's the only subgenre that actually still scares me. You know, that's one thing. I mean, it, 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 there's just a huge part of the world who is, of course, scared by that. So that's exciting as a storyteller. But um, but for me, it, it's and there's there's times we talk about different ideas and and they're like, well, at the end of the movie, was it real or was it not? I was like, well, yeah, it was, you know we're getting to do a movie tour. You can see something in your imagination um, that is supernatural. So we can't quite prove it, but in a movie we can prove it or in a movie we can show it. And um, so whether it be exorcism or werewolf or the haunted video game or haunted puppets or a haunted doll, it's, it's like, that's the fun of it is we get to, I get to take the story into an imaginative place, you know, and, and, um, Whereas in the real world, you know, we can't exactly do that. That's that's a great answer. 
Uh, going to the the boy in 2016, a huge hit. It was a huge hit. Um, when you were making it, directing it, did you know that you had something special there, or did you have to wait for it to come out and see the reaction, not only from critics but from fans, that this is a really really good movie and it got a lot of attention that it rightfully deserved um you know i have written co-written and everything with 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 a lot of the projects i've done and that was the first time that i um actively moved forward on a script that wasn't mine and a lot of times when you are when i'm submitted horror scripts they're just not very good because i feel like if it's really good the filmmakers will find a way to make it. Um, why, you know, it, whereas if it's submitted to me through a studio or it's, it's never quite good enough. I don't think, um, otherwise, like I said, the writers would have found a way to make it. And so with that movie, you know, uh, Gary Lucchese had a meeting with him and he was like, Hey, take a look at this script. If you think I thought it was an interesting concept, read it that night, loved it. I mean, it was so great. And we've been, no time. So much was happening in the movie. It was such a great mood. Stacey Minear is such a great writer, created such a cool world, had such a great twist. Um, so I, I was like, wow, this is really good. Like, this is really special. And then as we put the movie together and the fact that it takes place in mostly one location with pretty much no more than two or three people at any one time, it's one of those deals to where, like, I felt like this is our game to lose. You know, we have such a great script. In creating the doll, he turned out so great. The crew... Behind me, like Daniel Pearl as the director of photography, it's nobody better, certainly in that space. And um, and then the location uh, for the house, it was just like, wow, everything was coming together really nicely. And I was like, the only reason this shouldn't work is if we screw it up. Mm-hmm. And I feel like um, it, it was just kind of trusting the process and, tr- and, and trusting the script. Uh, you know, and Lauren Cohan, like she was perfect. I mean, everything, that, yeah. just, it turned out really great. It turned out. Yeah, Lauren Cohen, who is in The Boy, uh, you know, it was just right around, slightly after the peak of The Walking Dead, uh, where it was yeah. had like 15, 20 million viewers per week. How much did you, do you think Lauren Cohen being in The Boy contributed to being uh, such a big success, getting people out to the movies to watch it? You know, I mean... Um... She was amazing, she was. but but I, I don't think there was anything about kind of the data or the numbers that indicated Walking Dead had a particularly uh, imp- big impact on the movie. But I know that they embraced her role in the in the film, yeah. so it was. I think it was great for the movie. I, I know it didn't hurt, and I really love that fan base, you know, because what I love about The Walking Dead is that it's about characters, really, mm-hmm. and. Um, but I, but I don't know that we were like, oh, it was it was The Walking Dead that made it successful. I think a lot of I think a lot of times these types of movies have to cross over to more than just um, a horror audience to to be really successful, which is what The Walking Dead does. And it's, it was my dad's favorite show, you know, and which was so unlike him, and uh, and she and she was his favorite actor in the world at the time. So um, so it was pretty cool. But yeah, I, I mean, I know it didn't hurt, but I also. I don't think it was a magic. I agree. Um, the movie stands on its own. It, I mean, he, Lauren did a great job, but he could yeah. put another great actress and the, the movie would have done just as well. Uh, what inspired the idea for the sequel for The Boy? What's well, funny, I, I mean, I always thought the sequel, like in creating the first, I thought we were creating a new slasher, like a new Michael Myers type character. Okay. And which, which I think, you know, in a way, Brahms, the, the, the adult Brahms is that he's a great um he's a great murderer yeah. murder character slasher character but um but they really were slow going and like coming around to doing a sequel and then it was pretty much strangely they saw that the doll remained like a became a meme mm-hmm. and he was living on way past the movie um and in particular um he was always being compared to Jared Kushner <laughs> and um, so that was it was weird, and that was that was it. I mean, that was what Gary Lucchese from the the guy that gave me the first script, 
that was the phone call was like, Brent, like, why haven't we made a sequel? People just still are enamored with this doll and this Jared Kushner thing, you know? And I was like, yeah, that's interesting. Um, so then it was like, all right, well, let's, let's figure out, like to develop an idea. But then the focus became more about the doll and not, um, the real Brahms. Sure. And, but I, I always looked at it as more of a trilogy anyway, you know, that there's two, two big villain, not villain, they're kind of heroes, but Brahms, the doll and Brahms, um, the real Brahms, like we're, we're two, two characters who kind of have a lot of rich mythology between them, between them. It sounds almost like, you know, if it was left as a single movie, you would have been completely fine with that. Yeah, it's 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 a cool I don't think I, I think we were really lucky to be able to do a movie that was such a slow burn to where it had such a, a low body count, but still was engaging to the audience and scary. And um, and then having that kind of fun twist that introduced a whole different vibe to the movie. So it, it was a, a great standalone movie. But I as a as a creator, as a writer, storyteller, um, I fall in love with the characters, and so at the end of a hundred-page script or a hundred-minute movie, I'm like, ah, I'm just getting to know them, and that's uh, that's why to me, continuing those stories is exciting, yeah. you know. Um, but it has to be the right story, you know. It has to, and you have to have time to tell it. Exactly, exactly. Do you consider yourself a lifelong horror fan, or like did you grow up and uh, remembering as far back as you can remember, you've always loving? the horror genre? Absolutely. I, I think other than something like Star Wars, um, before the, you know, up until like ages of like eight, um, it's the only memories I have of movies is are scary movies. Mm -hmm. um, Me too. And it's a lot of times just, yeah, it's like, it's like the omen, like Damien and the omen. I think I was relating to these kids, um, the twin brothers and the other, um, the doll in, like you said, poltergeist, the clown, like things like that just stuck with me. And I don't think it was always a conscious thing. Like meaning I, I didn't like have horror movie posters only up on my wall or something. Um, but they are the things, especially as I get older that like, when I think back of my childhood, I'm like, I can't really think of much else, but you know, when a stranger's calls, when she gets that phone call, um, those are the things that, I have stayed with me forever. You know, when Jason comes out of the water at the end of the first Friday the 13th and pulls her in, um, into the lake, it's like that stuff. It just sticks with you. When you were getting started in the industry, uh, were there, were there any horror icons from your childhood that you drew inspiration from like any Wes Craven, uh, George Romero, any of those types? For me, it would be, I mean, if I chose one, it would definitely be John Carpenter. Oh, God, um, yes. I, I mean, yeah. And, you know, the, and that's the thing about, you, you know, we talk about The Boy and it being a first film. But if you watch Friday the 13th, you know, uh, I know that's John, not John Carpenter. Um, but, you know, Jason doesn't put the mask on until the third movie. Mm -hmm. And people don't know that necessarily if they haven't followed it since the beginning. Yeah. But in particular with Halloween, you know, a lot of times the movies, and they can still be great, but as as they create more and more sequels, and then John Carpenter backed away from Halloween, right, after the first movie, same way that, like, James Wan backed away from Saw, directing it anyway. And, um, but then you watch that first film, and you're like, it's like a Hitchcock movie. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't have that much of a body count. Mm -hmm. Most of the people die right there in the last 10 minutes. And it's a slow burn movie. And um, and I love that about it. So that's what is most inspiring to me is what that first film was. Um, and then what it turned into is awesome. But uh, yeah, John Carpenter, I mean, you know, you look at his Christine and the fog and there's just so many things that he touched in the horror space and the music, you know, oh the music. Uh, it's just incredible. Do you know the, just like the all famous Halloween theme? You ever heard the story of how he just came up with that and a little short time span because he needed music yeah. for the movie and it ended up becoming yeah. the probably one of the most famous horror movie themes of all time it's just well the whole score yeah that, that whole score there's multiple themes in that score that are like still to this day other than the fact that it's such a kind of a thin sounding lo-fi uh sound that's very specific the melodies the haunting melodies and the rhythm of those different pieces are just 
just amazing. Absolutely. I mean, they, they, they just still, for me, inspire any kind of scary, suspenseful mm -hmm. moment in a story that I'm working on. Now, uh, what do you consider, you know, going back to your early career, the your biggest break that, that gave you, you know, into, took you to the next level? I, well, I guess, um, I mean, doing that tiny film, which was called Sparkle and Charm, was certainly like so many people were helpful and, and, and the fact that we were able to make that movie um, ended up kind of leading me to an agent. So that was a, a big deal, but not, it wasn't like a moment that happened overnight. It was just uh, looking back, it was like, wow, that led to that. But after that, uh, the guy who I wrote a lot of stuff with and created stuff with, Matt Peterman, um, we had just become friends and wanted to create something amazing. And I was kind of in the mind frame of creating something I could make, you know, like a tiny movie. And we were a bit frustrated. And so we just decided to write something that we want to see, you mm -hmm. know, who cares how. And we wrote this kind of um, high concept movie, which was basically kind of Jason Bourne with a video game. The way Stay Alive was, was like Freddy Krueger almost with a video game. And, um, and we, and then we ended up, selling it, you know, to Universal with Gail Ann Hurd, you know, producer of The Walking Dead, yeah. Terminator producer. And that was a huge break. And, and we never kind of looked back. And um, but it, but it was a break more in, in writing. And um, but none of those movies ever got made. And so we wrote these big studio kind of movies for about four years. And then finally, we're like, I'm fed up with this. I want to make movies, not write movies that go up on a shelf. And uh, and so that's when stay alive which was an idea we had for several years we just kind of you know pushed into existence um against the wishes of our agent you know who did not want us to make the movie but uh so yeah it, it was probably that script was like the thing that really really turned the corner for us for me between writing and directing which has the uh closest uh spot to your heart for me for the longest time people would would ask like, are you a writer or you're a director? And, and I'm, I'm a filmmaker, you know, like I'm a storyteller. And uh, so all of it is a byproduct of the other. I mean, a, a script and editing, um, which I've edited or edited on almost everything I've done. Um, they're all, they're all just forms of the storytelling, you know, they're forms of filmmaking. So I wanted to get to a point where I could speak everybody's language, you know, so I can speak to a writer about writing, speak to an editor about editing, you know, special effects, visual effects, it's a little bit of everything, um, which is very much kind of what a director sometimes is. It's very much a jack of all trades and a master of none. Um, so I'm probably, you know, kind of like that. Um, trying to become a master, uh, um, but understanding everything was really important for me so that I can, so I can balance all the different things. So, so director, would be really like the title if you had to choose one but filmmaker is really kind of how i look at it i, I agree i agree uh a jack of all trades i totally <laughs> yeah. I actually totally understand that now uh let's go back to separation when is the official sure. release date the official release date's april 30th this friday or i don't know when this it's is friday yeah april 30th yep, yep. yeah is it uh yep. is it coming uh only theaters theaters and on demand what's what's the status so the and it's really cool because we didn't know throughout all of covid like how we were going to approach the distribution for the movie when everything started kind of falling apart mm -hmm. and um in you know in the world yeah. but uh we we're only in theaters um i think we announced finally today it's like 1750 theaters uh 1800 theaters and um, so everywhere, and we're only in theaters for the first 30 days, and then it will be released internationally through Universal and um, on VOD and streaming, you know, after I think a 30 day window. So kind of, you know, close. a traditional release, yeah. you know, but not yet, yeah, not day and date, but not a three month window, like a nice 30 day window so that you know, um, it's only available in theaters, which hopefully will help get people, you know, out to theaters again. Get the people to theaters, and then the people who saw it in the theaters, word of mouth is very big in movies, and uh, yeah. so 
uh, it's going to do great. I have no doubt. The movie is great. I'm not just saying that because I'm talking to you. I really <laughs> did enjoy the movie very, very much. Uh, really what appreciate was, What was your impression when you saw the final product for the first time of Separation? Were you proud? Do you wish you would have done something differently? What were your feelings? If, you know, if you can separate yourself as you being the director sure. and just watching it from a fan's perspective, if... Did you have any regrets or was you like, okay, we, we got this. We nailed it. I mean, I always have, I wouldn't call them regrets because I, I'm pretty okay with the fact that some things are, you know, good and bad. Like I can't exactly control. So I don't beat myself up over it too much, but, um, you know, it was, it was, it was one that because of COVID especially, um, took longer to finish, but also allowed me to take a step back and really take some time with it. So, um, you know, it's for me like a really special movie. It, it's, it's different. I was very appreciative and grateful to all the producers and everybody involved. They kind of let me tell a pretty personal or a very personal for me story um, and not rush through that part of the movie. Yeah. So, so, um, and you know, and I get to work with, I work with a lot of friends, uh, over and over and then always meeting new people when I'm making movies. So, you know, I can, I always have things I wish I could fix and change. Um, and that I, I would have been able to do again. Um, but in this case, so many good things have come out of it that the good so far outweighs the bad. So it's like, I'm really grateful for how it turned out. One scene uh, watching the movie yesterday. Now, we all know, even just from the trailer, that the mom dies. That's no big spoiler, no big secret. Sure. And you know it's going to happen when she's talking on the cell phone and crossing the street. I think you right. did a brilliant job not rushing that. She crossed, like, what, three? And <laughs> she got hit on the fourth street? Yeah. So I'm like, okay, it's coming. No. All right, here we go. <laughs> Nothing. I, that was brilliant. I'm sorry. I, yeah. I, I I pay attention to those small details, and you yeah. built up to it. I mean, you took something yeah. that the audience knew was going to happen, but you still man managed to make it kind of surprising. How, how did yeah. you go about that? Well, um, in the, that exact way, is is was trying to create something that felt like it happened right in front of you, like like you know, hopefully kind of a bit of like, wait, how did they do that moment? Um, and it was a, you know, it was a complex, uh, series of shot or clump complex shot. Uh, and for me, you know, like I said, I, I appreciated how much the, everybody involved supported the way the movie takes its time in certain places. And of course it's, the movie doesn't really have a, a villain, if you will, or a ghost until mom dies. And that doesn't happen for a while. And what I liked about that was, you know, you paid a lot of attention to the trailer and so you knew it was coming. And I know people see that in the trailer. And I've had other people say the same thing about like how they maybe didn't expect it. I was like, well, you saw the trailer, right? I mean, they're like, well, yeah, I did see that in the trailer, but I think my mind made me forget about it. Mm -hmm. And, but in particular, um, you know, the story takes its time to develop. And, and when we, designed that whole shot and created it, I was like, hopefully people will almost forget that this is a horror film by that point. And they're just, you know, kind of lulled into this drama almost. Yeah. And then all of a sudden it's like, oh, wait a minute, I forgot this is a horror film. And there was a pretty gnarly death just then. So the idea was, was to kind of just make people forget. And especially with that shot, I was watching it last night with the audience and going, I wonder how many people know kind of what's happening, but also knowing the way that, that the shot works, that, um, that it does come out of nowhere. And, um, and, you know, and hearing you say that, it's, very, it's great. It was, uh, it was. Especially somebody who was really paying attention, you know, and who was waiting for that to happen. It still kind of surprised you. Uh, I know some people have said some cool things about it. So it's, you know, that's what's fun about storytelling, especially horror, is kind of surprising people are, get, are, are getting reactions from them, kind of like a roller coaster, you exactly. know. Exactly. And, uh, yeah, totally. and that was one of those things that was like, you know, really important to kind of try to do it in a way that would be satisfying for an audience and hopefully surprise them. We only, Even if they know it's coming. Exactly. Exactly. That was my point. I knew it was coming. Yeah. It was just like, 
you know, it was, you did it brilliantly. We only have enough time for one question. There is Thanks. one aspect of the movie that, you know, not a lot of people get to talk to the director of the movie they saw yesterday. So I'm going to seize right. this moment. Uh, when uh, Peter is having his uh, red moments, okay, can you explain? Yeah, you mean? Is that what you mean? Peter, the uh, yep. So I'm going back to his homeland yes. character, Jeff. Oh, yes. Right. <laughs> Peter yeah. was his homeland yeah. character's name. Yeah. yeah. When yeah. he's having those red moment scenes, uh, yeah. it kind of confused me as to what you were going for in those moments. Can you right. explain a little bit? Sure. Yeah. Absolutely. That that for me was you know um, the grim figure is is what I called the the monster, if you will. And um, in her world, you know, uh, I call it the crimson void, and and so that's her kind of in between. You know, it's in between heaven and hell and earth. You know, it, it's where she's kind of trapped. Um, and so as she's haunting him, you know, um, in his sleep or in broad daylight, she's kind of introducing him to that, you know, her side of the world, like. Uh, so that's what he's getting is a glimpse into her, you know, pretty kind of terrifying, but uh, a different world. Yeah. And uh, to where, you know, as the movie progresses, that that crimson void, that world becomes more and more present to where the end of it uh, kind of, you know, culminates there a little bit. Um, so that was kind of the idea, you know, Brilliant. was for kind of converging with the daughter in a way trapped in the middle, which is almost literally um, kind of where the story led. If it was the mom, the mom after her death and back as a spirit, in a way she almost seemed to be forgiving of Jeff, as opposed to when she was alive, she was not the nicest person to her husband. Okay. I know he might've deserved it. Okay. Uh, for not becoming an adult. And uh, yeah, but she wasn't very nice. <laughs> You're right. And, and, you know, Mamie really wanted to lean into that side of her character. Um, and and in a way, I was scared of Meryl Streep's character in Kramer vs. Kramer as a kid. Um, I thought she was really evil until I got older and kind of was like, oh, no, she was just dealing with like what adults have to deal with. It's, yeah. You know, it's not black and white. And so uh, for me, I was like, in a way. Some people will almost cheer when she gets mm -hmm. killed, maybe because wow, she was really pretty cruel to him. She was, but um, but she was cruel to him because he was irresponsible. He's well-meaning, has good intentions, but but he did screw things up, and and over the course of the story, he continued to screw things up with mm -hmm. her, with you know, putting her in harm's way, his daughter. So the more that happened, the more the grim figure, you know, got became frustrated. And uh, and it was it was you know a, a lot of the movie is about him learning both of them really the parents but learning to become a more responsible parent yeah. and um, and to where to where by the end it's like yeah he you know not to give away stuff but it's like he kind of sacrificed his life to save his daughter and and that led to um, you know the grim figure having peace to be able to trust that his her daughter is going to be safe and move you know, it's yeah, really fun. absolutely it was a great movie uh brent it's been an absolute honor talking to yes. you. yes this hour yeah, this, great. this hour just flew by thank you so much you have any <laughs> yes. final thoughts you want to share with our audience before we no, say goodbye? i'm just ex i'm just really excited for everybody to see the movie yes. you know and it's so exciting for me that in supporting the movie you're also supporting the industry but even more than that you're supporting this you know communal experience that we all have going to see film and right. i feel like for a while, I thought that was maybe in the past, mm -hmm. um, and we were, you know, and streaming and everything was just going to be the new normal. But I found in the last month, especially, that going to the theaters, going to the movies is really a special experience. And I hope this movie, you know, supports all that and makes it makes it a, a, a big part of going back to the movies. Absolutely, and I really do think that going to the movies, and I like how they're doing it movies 30 days and then on demand yeah. i think it satisfies everybody uh yeah and it, the movie is going to be a success the movie guys is called separation it's coming out this friday as you just heard to movie theaters across the country 
I definitely recommend it. It's an amazing film, especially if you're into the supernatural slash paranormal subgenre of horror. Brent, thank you so much. Guys, thank you thank so you. much for tuning in tonight. Till tomorrow, guys, on behalf of Brent and myself, stay safe and stay walking. Good night. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs>